at it, partners. For your safety, remain seated with your hands, arms, feet, and legs inside the train, and be sure to watch your kids. If any of you folks are wearing hats or glasses, best remove them, because this here's the wildest ride in the wilderness. Welcome to Detour to Neverland, your guide to living your best Disney life through your hobby or business. Here's your hosts, Brendan and Catherine. Howdy, partners. To welcome back to Detour to Neverland. Today's episode number 198. Did that hit a little too close to home? It did. I felt like we were in Tennessee. Howdy, y'all. Howdy. I don't think I've ever said howdy before in my entire life. <laughs> That's okay. But it fits for today's theme. It does fit for today's theme. So thank you so much for joining us. If, if this is your first time here, we are doing this special storytelling series that we've been doing for quite a while now. And we're taking a different look at Disney attractions and trying to view them through a different lens to learn more about the story that they are trying to tell. So hopefully the next time that you are able to write it, you catch something new or you have a deeper appreciation for it. And this episode, a spoiler alert, is going to do exactly that for me. Oh, yeah. I mean, we learned so many new things about this attraction in doing some research. Yep. A couple of housekeeping notes before we get started. Um, so we previously announced that we would be visiting the parks on Wednesday and Thursday of this week. I guess today and tomorrow, if you're listening on release day, we're not going to be able to go on Wednesday anymore. Uh, so that was a cast member preview day and unfortunately have a very sad situation where Elizabeth, your sister, her dog is not doing so well. Yeah. So my parents came down for July 4th. Like we mentioned, we went to the beach. We had a great time. And our family dog in Tennessee, uh, she's been struggling. She's a great Pyrenees and, you know, big dogs have lots of health issues. And she's 10. She's old. She's an old girl. Um, and her health just declined pretty bad. And that's my sister's dog. So she uh, drove back to Tennessee with my parents. So she's not here with us to go to the park. So, of course, she's sad about missing that opportunity, but she needed to be with Maya, our dog. Yeah, but we will still be there on Thursday for annual passholder previews in Magic Kingdom. And we plan on Friday to release an episode sharing that experience. So our goal on Thursday is we're going to try to stay off our phones as much as we can to try to just soak it all in. This will be our first visit to the parks as locals. And of course, the first visit for us since everything is opened back up. So we're going to try to soak it all in. But then once we've had time to digest it a little bit, we're going to share that episode with you on Friday. Yeah, so it'll be exciting for a lot of reasons. It will be exciting. And we'll, you know, share the good and the bad, I think. Yeah. Hopefully mostly good. I feel like we'll we'll be somewhat jaded like we are with a lot of these rides <laughs> where we're just going to see all the good things. Yep. So back to today's episode. Our attraction, as you already saw in the title, is Big Thunder Mountain Railroad. And... Like we alluded to, this has a much deeper and rich story, both on the history side and on the storytelling aspect side, than I ever realized. Yeah, same. So I guess we will jump into it. We're going to start with the ride walkthrough. And of course, this is kind of the part of the 
ride that I think is painfully obvious, kind of what they're trying to portray, because this is one of the major mountains in Disney World. It's very obvious. So you start by entering the queue, which is seemed to be the headquarters of the Big Thunder Mining Company. It's hard not to say Big Thunder Mountain Railroad when you say that. Um, But the queue was updated in 2012 to be interactive, which is pretty similar to what they've done in a lot of other attractions, such as the Winnie the Pooh and the Seven Dwarves Mine Train. Have you ever noticed it, Brendan? We almost, we fast pass this almost every single time. I can't remember the last time I waited standby. Yeah, I was pretty surprised when I read this because I remember them doing this in so many rides. I mean, even Space Mountain had like the interactive games for a while, but this is something that we never experienced ourselves wonder what happened to those space mountain games why did they take them away they weren't that great i don't know maybe they just stopped working they're better than those soren games Mm, i can get behind those that's a terrible cue for soren but anywho as you leave the station so once you've actually gotten onto your train car as you leave the station you embark on one of the greatest spiels about the wildest ride in the wilderness So, of course, you have to remove those hats and glasses. And before we talk about the scenes themselves, we've mentioned this a lot. This is another one of those great ride intros that ranks right up there with Slinky Dog Dash. How would you rank this amongst other ride intros? As far as like safety spiels? Yeah. I think it's the most iconic one. Like the most iconic? I do. The only other one that I can think of is Pirates. Yeah, that's a good one. But I think the the wildest ride in the wilderness, I feel like obviously deep Disney fans get it. But even the casual Disney fan, I think, gets that reference more often than not. And I don't think you can make that same claim for many other safety spiels. Mm-hmm. That's very true. I'd say maybe it goes up there with like the monorail. <laughs> Does that count as a safety spiel? Por favor. Yeah, and we don't speak Spanish and we could probably say it. <laughs> so as soon as you leave the station or the mining company, you take off and you enter the first of many caves where you start to see things like stalagmites and stalactites. I don't really know the difference between the two, but one comes up and the other goes down. And then you see a little waterfall and you go up the first launch hill. And there are actually three different launch hills for this roller coaster, which is pretty unique. From there, you race through a couple different curves and hills as you take in the southwestern landscaping. And it's actually made to kind of mimic that windswept look that you can see in Arizona's Monument Valley. I've never been there. Have you? I have. But you also failed to mention you're just doing this off Magic Kingdoms. Yes, that's a that's a good point. Yes, we are talking about Magic Kingdom in Walt Disney World. Um, We will get to some of those similarities and differences with the Disneyland version um, in the history kind of part of all this. That's because it is not Monument Valley in Disneyland. Yes, that's a good point i have been to monument valley i did see the point where forrest gump stopped running it was fun it was nice it's uh lots of long wine i was gonna say long winding roads but long straight roads leading to nowhere (laughs) leading to more uh hills and valleys 
I mean, not very many hills in Arizona, though. Oh, that's so strange because I feel like this ride has tons of hills. We're, we're getting into something we know nothing about. That's true. So, anywho, you pass through the small mining town of Tumbleweed, where you can spot critters like possum hanging from a branch. Your runaway train then enters into the Dave V. Jones mine, where you're taken up the second launch before passing some mountain goats on your descent. And then, of course, the last cave, which I think is kind of the most memorable. Um, it's a little more eerie than the rest. You enter in and you see the track is broken. You speed down some more hills and curves until you pass through that last scene with the dinosaur bones and the sulfur pools. And between those last two scenes, I think that's kind of the most thrilling part of the ride. It's like the finale, which makes sense. And then, of course, you disembark your train car. You made it. You made it. And this is one of those rides where it's hard to call it smooth because, you know, whenever you're riding it, you're constantly running into the person who's sitting next to you. So it is pretty jostling. I feel like this is one of those rides that when if you ride it as a kid, you are in one or two camps. If you're riding with your parent or even with a sibling, uh-huh. either... You're getting smushed or you're doing the smushing. Yes. And normally as a kid, you're like overemphasizing, slamming into the next person. Well, especially I can imagine if it's your brother, right, Brendan? Probably. Yeah. But I almost always rode with my mom. And you would smash your poor mom? Well, let's not take that sound bite out. But She's a saint. <laughs> <laughs> but... Um, yeah, I would. Um, I don't even know the verb anymore. I've completely lost it. <laughs> Moving on. Um, let's talk about this ride's history. And to really understand this ride's history, you have to go even further back in time to all of the different things that were proposed for this area, particularly in Magic Kingdom and the history involved there. So it really starts in the early 70s when Mark Davis dreamed of an idea of a Magic Kingdom expansion called Thunder Mesa. The proposed Thunder Mesa area would include an e-ticket attraction, Western River Expansion. So Western River Expansion was supposed to be Walt Disney World's version of Pirates of the Caribbean. And at that time, Mark Davis and the other Disney executives who had decision-making power thought that Florida's proximity to the Caribbean islands geographically would lead guests to not be interested in the attraction, which to me, I, how did, how did they think that? I don't know that. Cause it is funny to just not like assume, but just think that like, Oh, if you are visiting Florida, you're so close to the Caribbean. Who would care about that? Like me, I do. <laughs> I feel like this is probably one of those things where this is the published reason. Yeah. Why they thought that. But really, there's a different reason why they thought that. Well, money is always part of it, too. And I know we'll get to that. Yeah. But maybe just the cost. Yeah. So Mark Davis's grand idea, and particularly on Western River Expansion, would have housed more animatronics than Pirates of the Caribbean and feature cowboys, Native Americans, women trying to get the attention of the cowboys. So to me, that screams the redhead scene. Mm -hmm. 
and bandits and roaming animals. I guess I failed to mention this. If you didn't know already, Mark Davis was the lead Imagineer behind Pirates of the Caribbean. So that's why you see so many similarities and why Pirates and Thunder Mesa and Big Thunder Mountain are all kind of closely tied together in their stories. So the size of Thunder Mesa was enormous. The facade, which was shaped like a plateau and similar to the rock work that we see now with the orange, the oranges and the browns and the really rich, jagged colors and, and facing would have covered the entire area that now contains Big Thunder Mountain and Splash Mountain. And that just would have been this one attraction. Well, no, Thunder Mesa was just in an area and then oh, so Thunder Mesa included two attractions. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So instead of Frontierland, we would have had Thunder Mesa. Well, Thunder Mesa was in Frontierland. Oh my goodness. I can't keep up. Thunder Mesa was supposed to serve as like the backdrop of Frontierland. So as soon as you passed through Liberty Square, you would see this gigantic plateau facade that was Thunder Mesa. I Yeah. Okay. I'm with you now. Okay. The other attraction was a runaway mine train attraction that would zig and zag out in and out of the facade. But it was almost an afterthought behind Western River expansion, mm -hmm. which is crazy to me. But my favorite proposed attraction or part of Thunder Mesa, can you guess what it is? I cannot. Mule rides. You would be able to ride a mule <laughs> in Magic Kingdom. Oh, my goodness. There are so many reasons why they probably needed to get rid of that. Wow. That's incredible. So new campaign, bring back mule rides. Oh, my goodness. Can you imagine what that would like smell like, though, in the July heat in Florida? Oof. So Mark Davis sat on this idea for quite a while and continued trying to get it approved and trying to get it greenlit to put it into this expansion of Magic Kingdom. And just different things kept coming up to block it, mainly due to budgetary restrictions. So around this same time, you would see, you know, as we moved later into the 70s, you would see Epcot get its funding and start to take shape. Space Mountain would go into Magic Kingdom and the decision was ultimately made to bring pirates to Walt Disney World as they knew that it would be a guaranteed success, that the ride made sense. They already had the storyboard laid out for it. And so they decided that pirates ultimately would have a home in Magic Kingdom. That is, I can understand like the budgetary things, you know, that's something that comes up an awful lot as we look at the history of some of these rides, but to just kind of scrap like this whole vision just to go with something they already had. Like that to me is shocking because I feel like that's not typically what we would see from Imagineers, you know? Yeah. So, of course, after this was done and after Pirates was put in, it was seen as redundant to have another boat ride in that same area. And the ultimate nail in the coffin happened when a young Imagineer named Tony Baxter did a spinoff of this Thunder Mesa idea and came up with Big Thunder Mountain Railroad. 
Tony Baxter, of course, the lead Imagineer behind Splash Mountain. He's also coming out of retirement to be a creative director for the Splash Mountain to Princess and the Frog retheming. I don't, you probably know this if you've listened to any episodes of us. Tony Baxter probably is my favorite Imagineer of all time. Oh, he is amazing at what he does. You cannot deny that. So he had that he had this idea because it had a much cheaper price tag and because pirates got put in it got greenlit pretty quickly but again see the notes about epcot and space mountain around this same time they actually adopted the idea in disneyland first so you would see it begin construction in 1978 in disneyland ultimately opening in 1979 then following Magic Kingdom opened in 1980. Eventually, we now have it in Tokyo, which opened in 1987, and then in Paris in 1992. Just speaking about Walt Disney World and Disneyland's version, because those are the only two that we have been on. Fun fact, um, Big Thunder Mountain Railroad was the first ride we rode in Disneyland. It was. Yeah. We'll forever have a special place in our heart. The tracks are almost identical between the two versions. Disneyland's version was updated. Um, I think it was the early 2000s. I, b- I believe you're right. They updated and replaced all the tracks. And then Disneyland also got the more recent update where they put in the dynamite scene, which is like awesome. Really cool effects. They have the goat holding the dynamite. Everybody loves that goat. Uh, and then Magic Kingdom got the Q updates. I feel like when that happened, that was in 2014, I believe. 2012. 2012. We all thought that we were getting the dynamite scene in Magic Kingdom. Well, I'm surprised we didn't because, I mean, you can definitely argue that it is superior. I mean, it's really cool. The way that they do it and it's very immersive, you know, when it goes off and you have the the smoke or I guess it's not smoke, but you have all that. And it's I mean, it's a really cool feature. Yep. So differences between the two going forward, the loading stations are a little bit different in Disneyland. It's on a raised platform and it's pretty much all open air and Walt Disney World's you go down. Like mm-hmm. into the mine shaft. I would still say it's open air, but I don't know. I I see where you're going with that, but because it is more underground, you, you know, it doesn't feel open air. You can't see the sky. Yes. I guess that's what I'm saying. But it's not a show building. No. Yeah, I agree with that. So kind of what we already mentioned, Disneyland. The rock facade itself was based off Bryce Canyon in Utah and Walt Disney World's was based on Monument Valley in Arizona. Really what you're looking for there in Arizona, it's a more red color and it's a little bit taller. Hmm. I didn't know that. You did not? I did not. And the backstory is a little bit different. In Disneyland, you're visiting an old mining town of Rainbow Ridge where the residents who have now left they left you clues to say that natural disasters such as earthquakes happen when you travel through the mines. In Walt Disney World, it's a little bit of a more well-flushed-out backstory. And you are visiting the town of Tumbleweed, where Barnabas T. 
bullion, established Big Thunder Mining Company to mine for gold. And the legend of the mountain is that it protects its gold and will cast a curse on anyone who tries to take it. Well, I would never have guessed that. I feel like it's somewhat common knowledge to know that the town is called Tumbleweed, but the rest of it, the curse part that's, you know, haunted, whatever. I almost wish that that was more prevalent. You know, like I wish that stood out more as you rode the ride. I don't know how they would necessarily do that, but it is a cool, a cool backstory. I never would have put the adjectives cursed or haunted or possessed or anything along with Big Thunder Mountain Railroad. Mm -hmm. And maybe it's obvious to other people, but I never, ever realized that that's what the story was going for. No, I didn't either, because I never actually felt like when we were going, when you ride the ride and you go through all these different mines and caves and things like that, you know, it never makes it obvious or never makes you feel like you're there to take the gold. You know what I mean? So it it almost never presents that opportunity that would show you that it's cursed. So here's what I thought the story was. Okay. In my simple little dumb brain, here's what I thought. I thought it was a ghost town, mm-hmm. like you see in a lot of Western cities. But I thought the reason that it was a ghost town was because the gold was gone. Well, yeah. That they moved on to the next settlement to search for more gold. And so it was a deserted town because of that. And this was just an old mine train that was used for mining purposes, but it's been out of service. And that's why it's wonky yeah and said it's a runaway train which fits both narratives but Mm -hmm. it's the mountain being cursed that it's went over my head for 20 years yeah yeah i never i never would have gotten that either so i thought this was a really fun part of our research because now i feel like we're going to ride this attraction and we're going to look for those maybe subtle hints of it potentially being cursed or anything like that, which will be fun. It'll be a new way to ride it. Yeah. So the Disneyland Paris version, of course, we've never been on it. We've never been to Disneyland Paris. Hopefully soon. Fingers crossed. Is by far the most unique. And without going into all the details, it's longer. It's faster. It's on its own standalone island, which is crazy. And you travel underwater to get to it. Because the loading zone is on land. And to me, learning about it, it has one of the best Disney callbacks or symbolism, whatever you want to call it. The town, it's called Thunder Mesa. Mark Davis, I feel like would be so happy to see that. Oh, yeah. I mean, it definitely pays a nice homage to that original idea and that original concept. Yeah. So those are the kind of the big things from history that stood out to me. And I think it even goes way, way deeper than what we were able to scratch the surface on, Um, especially the Thunder Mesa part of it. I'm interested. Do you think there was any conflict between Mark Davis and Tony Baxter? Or do you think Mark Davis was just happy to see some version of his idea come to life? 
I would have to imagine it would be more so the latter. I mean, it's probably a bummer to have this grand idea and then, you know, not have it funded and then not seeing it come to fruition. But I feel like at least getting to see part of it come to life is, you know, that would be somewhat rewarding. So now that we've been to Disneyland and Disney World, was Mark Davis correct that Disney World did not need a Pirates? Not because of the proximity to the Caribbean thing. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> but because it doesn't have a New Orleans Square to sit in, because it's a much shorter version of the attraction, it doesn't have the Blue Bayou restaurant to play off of it. We love Pirates. Mm-hmm. But I almost now wish that it was just an exclusive to Disneyland. Yeah, I mean, I think visiting Disneyland, Disneyland does it better. I think a lot of people would agree with that. Um, I don't know. It is just hard to imagine a Disney World without Pirates just because it has become so popular. But I could definitely see what Mark Davis meant by like, let's try something new. Like let's have the same type of ride with a new theme and our new feel, you know, it would have been something completely different that I think could have been really cool to have like a Western kind of version of pirates, you know, to get kind of that same feel that you get from riding pirates. Um, so I don't know. A, a couple notes. I think you have to make. If they would have went that route, it would have had to been updated at some point. You could not the way that it was originally depicted, you could not show Native Americans like that. Mm -hmm. It was inappropriate. Yeah. So that would have had to been updated. So at that point, it may have been scrapped completely mm -hmm. whenever that, you know, was brought to light that 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 was not OK. Um, but the other thing I want us to table this idea. And if anybody has any thoughts, let me know. But it's it has me thinking, is Pirates of the Caribbean even appropriate for Adventureland and what it is? So just think on that. Think on that. And when we do Pirates in the future. We'll, we'll circle back. We'll circle back on that. Because I almost feel like we're so used to it in Magic Kingdom that we've accepted it. But if you really think about what Adventureland is supposed to be, A, it should never have an Aladdin spinning carpet ride. I feel like you're getting on a tangent. Well, maybe so. And I feel like you could make the case that Pirates doesn't belong there either. Okay, so we'll table it. We'll come back to it. Now I'm hyped up. I know you are. So any final thoughts on Thunder Mesa? Let's do it. Let's do what? Let's bring back Thunder Mesa. <laughs> An expansion on the expansion. What if, okay, hang with me. Thunder Mesa replaces Tom Sawyer's Island. See, my question for you now is, do you just want Thunder Mesa for the mule rides? Or <laughs> are you actually interested in this concept that Mark Davis had? Because if I'm being honest... I don't know if I am interested in that. I, I think if that's what would have been originally there, I think if that's what 
was always there and we never knew anything differently, I would probably be very attached to the ride like I am anything else. But if I'm thinking about cool, new, fun things that come to the parks, a Western boat ride doesn't necessarily make me jump up and down, you know? Yeah. And I'm not necessarily speaking about the attractions. I I guess I'm more just saying the possibility of building out more rock work and more immersion and stuff like that. And the reason why it's on the forefront of my mind is with Splash getting rethemed, Frontierland has sort of an open sketchbook now. Like you can take this opportunity when Princess and the Frog is coming in and go some different routes. And I think it opens up a lot of those conversations. So we can table it. Second thing to table today. We'll table all of it. And it's just got my wheels turning. Okay. So you're going to be the next Imagineer. Is that what I'm hearing? I wish. Okay. You wish too, probably. Well, for sure. Yeah. So let's take a quick break here, message from our partners, and then we will be back for the rest of the episode. Moving has been stressful to say the least, but I'm glad that we are finally here. But I'm sure many of you are in stressful points in your life where time is very valuable. Sometimes I don't think until late at night about the post I wanted to make on social media for that day. By the time I remember, it's not relevant anymore or it's just not the right time. Luckily, using a a tool like Tailwind helps with that. You can schedule out your post, find relevant hashtags and set it and forget it. You don't even have to think about it until the likes and the comments start rolling in at the time that you scheduled your post to go live. So sign up for your free trial of Tailwind today by visiting detourtoneverland.com slash Tailwind or visit the link in our show notes. Okay, so let's talk about storytelling takeaways. Brendan? For me, I'm just completely blown away with how well thought out this story actually is that I never even realized. And I do kind of think it's a shame that it's not more apparent, but I also kind of think it's like a nice little secret that not many people know about. So like, I am just so, so, so excited to ride this the next time. So I think I'm going to appreciate it on a much deeper, deeper level. The other thing that I want to point out is that Getting a different perspective is sometimes so healthy that if Mark Davis had this idea for Thunder Mesa and he kept it in his office and in his file cabinet locked away behind everybody, then we probably never would have gotten Big Thunder Mountain. But because, you know, whether it was just a effort by Tony Baxter and Mark Davis or because it was the culture put in place in Walt Disney Imagineering of collaboration and getting different perspectives, it ultimately was born into Big Thunder Mountain, which is think is one of the most loved attractions over the last 30 years. Yeah, I mean, I for sure. And I think when you also look at the fact that it's a ride that's in four different parks, I think that speaks volumes, too, because it obviously means that it's very popular. 40 years, I guess. My math sucks. Well, that's okay. I would say kind of in a similar vein, but I think, you know, sometimes things are just much more than what they appear to be. You know, just looking at 
this attraction, you know, some things are obvious, you know, as far as storytelling goes, kind of like what we talked about, but there is a much deeper level. And like you said, I wish it was more obvious, but, you know, it's not just a roller coaster. It's not just a thrill ride. You know, those are easy to make. But I think that this has a lot of different layers and just this background of it. You know, they named the town. They have a founder, all of those different things. Um, it makes it a lot more rich. And I think that kind of applies to a lot of other things in life, too, that it's not always just as basic as you would think. Well, I also think that that's a very fluid thought throughout all of Disney parks as well. That that is what keeps people like us going back is because there's always more to understand or more to explore. And almost everything has a deeper story than you realize. Mm -hmm. That's why we're here to find them. Yeah. So let's talk about our listener feedback. So we got four of our friends over in our Facebook group this week to share their scores. This is the first time we've had other people put scores in there. So I'm very happy (laughs) to see these. And they're kind of spread out. Yeah. Got some controversy. There is a range. So our friend Erica from Stress Free Mickey shared her score and she gave it a nine out of 10. Let's look at her scoreboard. The She gave it full ones and everything except for standby worthy. She said no more than 30 minutes worth. And thrill factor, she gave it this 0.75 instead of one. Um, and then worth the time investment saying that you can, you check the time seeing if you can fit it in again. Yeah. So definitely more than once, but if you can squeeze it in more, that's always a bonus. Yep. Next, our friend Lindsay gave it a seven and a half. She scored it highest in the immersion quality, gave it full scores on that and scored it lowest in nostalgia saying that it doesn't do much for her. And that's a hard one to argue with because you can't argue with someone's yeah. nostalgia. <laughs> and our friend Catherine gave it a six and kind of evenly spread out. And she scored it full score in nostalgia. Yeah, which and, is so funny. And then scored it lowest. And how much do you miss it? Saying that she doesn't that she, I don't think about it from home. These That's are, fair. These are so interesting. And then friend Sean from Monorail Radio said it's a solid eight and a half. Remember it fondly as one of my first coasters as a kid and have to do it at least once per visit. I do think this is a good entry level coaster. It's a step up from Barnstormer, but it's not as crazy as Space Mountain or something like that. Well, it's almost like you're reading my mind, because if I start to think of just, you know, personal memories or final thoughts and just like overall, when I think Big Thunder Mountain Railroad, I do think about riding this as a kid pretty much for that exact same reason. It is less intimidating. Um, You know, it goes fast, but it doesn't look extremely high. You're sitting in a train. So, I mean, come on, that's pretty uh, unassuming. You know, how fast can this train go? So I do remember riding it a lot as a kid. It was definitely a favorite. Um, the jostling around is always fun, too, as a kid. I actually thought it was a steam train growing up, by the way. I could I could see that. 
I don't know if a steam train could ever go that fast, but fair enough. Um, but this was always a must do for my family. It's always a must do now for us when we go with your family, because isn't this your mom's favorite? This and pirates, which are funny. <laughs> it is funny. So we always do this. And, you know, it is one that I don't know if I if I would say that I miss it from home because there's other rides that I miss more, if that makes sense. But it is up there as far as favorite attractions. Yeah, I would say like when we're grabbing fast passes, let's say on a normal day when you get your pick of three. It almost always makes it into our. Top three. Into our lineup, yeah. I would say more often than not, we do Space, Big Thunder, Splash, depending on the time of year, or something like Peter Pan or Jungle Cruise. Haunted Mansion. Haunted Mansion. Yeah. Sorry, we almost never do Seven Dwarfs. It's just, it's fun, but it's hard to use a fast pass on it. On the uh, worth the time investment category of our scoring, it gets a zero. That's all I'll say about that. About Seven Dwarfs? Yeah. See, now you're all over the place. You're going to confuse people. All right. So let's give it our score. Catherine, go ahead. Okay. I gave it an eight, which is pretty much right in the middle of everyone else's scores from our listeners. But I gave it the highest scores for Fast Pass Worthy, um, Immersion, Nostalgia, and Smile Factor. Because it is one of those where you just kind of like giggle when you ride it. Like, it's it's just fun. I gave it a 7.75. We scored it almost identical in every single one except for Fast Pass Worthy. And I gave it a 0.75. You gave it a 1. I would say that's probably because anytime we choose Peter Pan instead of Big Thunder to get a Fast Pass, it's normally my influence. Mm -hmm. I would say you would pick Big Thunder almost every time. Other than that, we gave it lowest scores in standby worthy. But now that we know more about the backstory, I I think I might reconsider that score in the future to learn more about what exactly is going on. Yeah, my only thing about that is I don't know if I would really pick much up just waiting in the queue. And it gets kind of stuffy in that little uh, open air mine. Was that a... Oxymoron and open air stuffy? No, it does get stuffy. Okay. There's not good airflow. I also thought it was interesting on love it or fix it. We both gave it a 0.75 saying don't change it too much. Well, I think that's because we both know what we would change. We want the Disneyland. We want dynamite. the effects. Yeah. So I wouldn't change it structurally. I wouldn't get rid of any of the scenes. I would just enhance them. That's it. I would agree with that. Mm -hmm. So 7.75 for me and 8 for you. That's pretty high. That's higher than I expected this to be. Well, I do think learning more about the background helped us. Just because it gives it more depth. And that's what we're looking for when we pick a good immersive ride we did good yes all right so next week next wednesday Catherine, we're heading over to epcot is our next epcot what is the attraction that you're going to choose i went with living with the land thrill factor 50 (laughs) 
I think it will have an interesting history. And I think there is a lot to learn from this ride. I mean, it's very much intentionally trying to teach people something. Um, so I think it'll be interesting. We're going to have to. We're not going to go to Epcot before next Wednesday. No, I wish we were because the last time we rode this, it was raining so hard that it was. It was like leaking. It was leaking and coming through the greenhouses. Yeah. Which probably happens quite a bit in Florida. I'm sure that frequently happens. But it was crazy. It was. So a little bit of a different experience. We're going to have to find a good YouTube video to watch. But good deal. So thank you so much for listening to this episode. We will be back on Friday to share our park experience from Magic Kingdom. Probably just all the snacks that we ate. Oh, for sure. The snacks, the smells, the everything. Everything you can imagine. Immersion level 100. You won't smell any mules. Well, that's that's probably a good thing. Well, I don't have any nostalgia for mules. To each their own. Okay. So thank you for listening. We will chat with you on Friday. We'll share a little bit on our Instagram when we're in the parks, I'm sure, on Thursday. But like I said, we're going to try to stay off our phones. Yeah. Very basic. Yep. So hope you have... A good Wednesday and a good Thursday, and we will talk to you in a couple days. Thank you for listening to Detour to Neverland. Subscribe to the show and leave a review to help more people find us. Follow us on Instagram at Detour to Neverland underscore podcast to see our pictures from the parks. See you real soon.